It's the holiday season. Loop-de-loop and dickery-duck. And don't forget to take out your gluck. Because just at midnight, Santa might need to be shot. <laughs> For real, this is a Christmas story, but not one to tell your children on Christmas Eve. It's twisted and sad and definitely won't give you a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Folks, if you're looking for that, go to the Hallmark Channel. This, my friends, is Real Twisted Sisters, and I am your host, Shayna. So let's go ahead and jump right into this story on the Covina Christmas Massacre. Bruce Jeffrey Pardo was born on March 23, 1963, in San Fernando Valley, California. He was a graduate of John H. Francis Polytechnic High School in Sun Valley and later on would graduate with a degree in computer science from California State University in Northridge. He was born to a father who also worked in engineering. Bruce was a pretty good kid, uh, as far as I can tell for the most part. He was outgoing and social and loved being the center of attention. He was always looking for a laugh and would go to whatever level it took to get a rise out of people. Bruce was also a very intelligent guy, super smart, and would have been a straight-up asset to any company given his engineering knowledge. However, he really wasn't the most responsible worker and didn't have the best work ethic. He was by far more interested in cracking jokes and trying to get people to respond to his antics. Well, Bruce ended up landing himself a job as an engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Flint Ridge, California. He was seemingly off to a great start in life. Seemingly. This guy was a complete tool. Like a, the poster child for asshole men is what he was. In 1988, he had been working with a woman named Delia. He apparently became pretty smitten by her and the two began dating and later that year they were engaged. Delia was super excited to become Mrs. Pardo and they were planning a very large wedding that would take place on June 17th of 1989, and they were also planning a very expensive honeymoon in Tahiti following the wedding. There was just one catch here with this wedding. Delia was covering all of the expenses. Now, apparently, although Bruce was working as an engineer, he wasn't making a whole lot of money and really wasn't, I guess, um, he wasn't very giving when it came to his money and his finances. One report I read said that he was still living with his mother at this time too. So I don't know. I think he was just like keeping his money to himself. And he figured like, if Delia is going to pay for the wedding, whatever, I'm just going to let her pay. Either way, Delia was having to dig into her savings to cover the deposits for the wedding. The planning was going well. Almost everything for the wedding had been paid for by Delia. And the deposit was already put down for that Tahitian honeymoon. On the day of the wedding... Bruce was a no-show. He left Delia that day, leaving her all alone on what should have been the happiest day of her life. The real kicker here is later on she found out that he had taken almost all of the money out of the joint bank account they had shared and spent it on a little vacation to Palm Springs, Florida. He had literally blown all of the hard-earned money that Delia still had on knickknacks, hotels, and beer. Although this was a super shitty thing to have to go through, Delia should definitely consider herself lucky that this guy didn't stick around. I'm sure she's looking back right now and is like, whoo, steered clear of that one. Well, later on that year, Bruce ended up getting fired from his job. Yep. 
he used his computer smarts to hack into the company's employee information portal to see everyone's salaries. Like, I don't know. That just seems pretty fucking stupid. Like, you ask around. If you really want to know somebody's salary, I'm sure they'll tell you. But what is it to you? Why is it that... Why is that your business? And why are you going to put your job on the line just to see what other people are making? He's a fucking idiot. Anyways, Bruce would go on to find another job in engineering and would end up meeting another woman. Her name was Elena. They moved in together and not too long after that, they had a son. On New Year's Eve of 2001, Bruce was watching their 13-year-old son while Elena was out shopping. When Elena returned home, she found Bruce completely hysterical, uh, super upset. He was cradling their son, but the son was unconscious. Apparently, the toddler had got out of Bruce's sight for a few minutes while Bruce was watching TV. Like, you have a 13-month-old son. What the fuck are you doing watching TV instead of watching your son, who at that time, I'm sure, could get into everything? Well, the little boy ended up getting out into the backyard somehow and fell into their pool. He was in dire shape. After being airlifted to a hospital, doctors were able to resuscitate the boy. Unfortunately, they were also able to determine that the child was brain dead. He would end up being confined to a wheelchair for the remainder of his life. During the boy's stay in the hospital, Bruce stayed by his side, day and night. Elena reported that Bruce felt horrible and did hold, hold guilt because of the situation. But, guilt-stricken or not... Bruce ended up leaving Elena and his son six short months after the accident. Elena was now a single mother to a paraplegic toddler, and Bruce wasn't helping with anything. They incurred almost $350,000 worth of medical bills. Elena ended up having to sue Bruce because he had refused to help pay for anything, and she just couldn't pay for it on her own. She was able to get about $100,000 from Bruce's homeowner's insurance in the settlement, um, but, you know, $100,000 will help a little bit, but her medical bills alone were about 350000 After that, after the settlement, Bruce never spoke to Elena or his son again. Now, that's just gross. And like, how do you sleep at night? How do you, knowing that that was your son, you were the one who was negligent and caused that accident pretty much, and now you're just going to be like... Peace out. Nope, I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore, and I'm not going to help you with any of the finances. You are the biggest fucking douche canoe I've ever heard of. So, at this point, Bruce is single again, leaving his first fiancé the day of their wedding, and his second relationship ended after the son. He shared with that woman nearly drowned because of Bruce's negligence. So, now, moving on, let's talk a bit about the next woman that Bruce would meet and, in turn, charm into thinking he was a good guy. Sylvia Ortega was born on July 5th of 1965 in Covina, California. She was born to Joe and Alicia Ortega. The, Joe and Alicia are like the sweetest couple you will ever see. I believe it was like a falling in love at first sight type of situation. They were married a mere three weeks after they met. And they were just beyond in love. They were soulmates and felt as though they were still in the honeymoon phase decades after their wedding. Alicia told Joe on their honeymoon that she would need to die before him as she wouldn't be able to live without the one she loved so much. Like the sweetest couple ever and they raised their children to, you know, think that same way. Like their children were raised to see them so much in love so they knew what, you know, what a healthy relationship was. They knew exactly what love was and they showed that to a lot of people in their life. 
Sylvia was the youngest of four children. There were two boys and two girls. A family friend said to um a family friend said this about the Ortegas in quotes, the Ortega family is the closest family that I've ever met. They are very much a clan. They approached all of life together. They're all connected to one another through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like they end quote there, but it just seemed like they all stuck by each other's side and even you know, they were all grown at this point. The children are all grown, but they're all still very close. Sylvia was one of those super sweet, caring ladies. She was always going out of her way to help people. And of course, she was very close to all of her siblings, like I said, and her parents. Her family definitely came first. Sylvia had been married to a man in or around 1989. Um, Some articles read 1988, some 1989. So, Right around there, the couple ended up having two children together. Unfortunately, this man died in a car accident, leaving Sylvia a widow at a fairly young age. A few years later, she met and married a man named George Orza. In 2002, they had a child together. Now, this marriage also didn't last very long. Um, George and Sylvia got a divorce, and Sylvia was once again on her own, raising three children. She truly loved being a mother, though, and did a fantastic job, always putting those children first. In 2004, fate would bring Sylvia and Bruce Pardo together. At that time, Bruce was working as an aerospace software technician. They met through a family member, and in January of 2006, they were wed. Unfortunately, right after the wedding, Bruce's true colors started to come out. What should have been a dream marriage for Sylvia turned into a nightmare. And I say that because Sylvia deserved the best. Like she had already, she you know, was a widow. Her first husband died when she was pretty young. She got into a second marriage that, you know, it didn't end very ugly, but it did end. Um, and now she's on her own with these three children. She meets Bruce. Bruce is an aerospace software technician. Like that's what she deserves. A, a good guy, which Bruce was not, but... Sylvia deserved so much better than Bruce. They fought constantly about the most ridiculous things. Mainly, it was finances. Bruce refused to open a joint checking account with Sylvia. And he also refused to help Sylvia pay for anything for her three kids that she had during their, her previous marriages. So, you know, Bruce steps in as a stepdad, but is like, nope, those really aren't my kids. So you can just go ahead and pay for all their shit out of your account. Now, Bruce was making a six-figure income working in software. Sylvia was working as a secretary for a floral shop, and although she only made a fraction of what Bruce made, she was a very hard worker and did try to provide for her family as best as she could. You would think you would have discussed all the finances and what's going to happen um, before you even consider getting married, I don't know if this did come out possibly before they got married, but anyways, it's, you know, like the amounts that you guys are making, what you're bringing in each year is significantly different and there are children involved. So it seems pretty obvious to me that this would be a big conversation. Like, you know, are we going to have a joint checking account? Are, just things like that would come out over time, I would think, before you got married. I don't know any man who would refuse to help pay for raising their stepchildren. Like, if that is the case, then you don't marry their mother, that you shouldn't even be in a relationship with somebody with kids if you're going to refuse to help support those those children. If that did come out that he wasn't going to support those children before Sylvia married him, that should have been considered a huge red flag. 
women out there, if you are with some guy who does not want to pay or help support your stepchildren, if you guys got married and those are his stepchildren, you need to um, take a step back and re-examine that whole relationship. Now, I believe that Bruce probably sugarcoated everything before they got married. And then just afterwards, he was like, fuck it. We're married. She stuck with me. I'm going to show her what an asshole I can be. Now, although the marriage was rocky, together the two bought a large home in Montrose. Bruce also owned a Hummer, a Cadillac Escalade, and a boat that he kept out on Lake Havasu. Sounds pretty, pretty fancy to me. He was living a pretty lavish lifestyle. But of course, he wouldn't help support his stepchildren. So in my head, I'm seeing like, narcissist. He seemed to be extremely selfish, to say the least. So things weren't going well between Bruce and Sylvia, putting it mildly. But in 2007, Sylvia got some disturbing news. She found out about Bruce's son, the one that he abandoned after becoming brain dead. She had no idea that Bruce had a son. That's another huge red flag. She actually saw that Bruce was illegally declaring the boy as a dependent on his taxes. What the fuck? Sylvia was horrified. Like, th this is a good woman. Sylvia is a good woman who came from a good family. She finds out that she is married to a man who pretty much, you know, caused the accident that his boy had to go through, causing him to be a paraplegic for the rest of his life. And then he just dips out, but is still trying to fucking claim him as a dependent on his taxes. I just can't believe there are actually people out there in this world like that. So, you know, Bruce never told her about the, having this child and she was like, you know, she was like, what the fuck? What am I going to do? Of course, when all this came to light, Sylvia grew really distant from Bruce. Uh, they were sleeping in separate bedrooms. They were barely talking to one another, but they were still living together. They were still married until March of 2008 when the couple officially separated. Now, Sylvia, you know, she... She knew she needed to separate from him. Like, that's not the man that she married. That's not the man that she wanted to be with. But it's hard, especially when you have kids. So Sylvia asked if she could stay in the home on Montrose or in Montrose until the school year ended, as she didn't want to have to take her youngest out of kindergarten early. You know, just let the little girl get through kindergarten early. Um, or, I mean, let the kid get through kindergarten, and then she could move on and start fresh somewhere else. However, when Sylvia left the home with her children to go to a birthday party... Bruce took all of their belongings and threw them out into the driveway. Sylvia immediately filed for divorce. Bruce didn't want Sylvia to have anything and was prepared to fight. Sylvia wasn't about to back down either. And it's like the way Bruce is acting, you would think that like he walked in to find Sylvia fucking another dude or something. And he's like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm going to get a divorce and you're not getting anything. But here it's like, Bruce, you're the fucking asshole. You are the one that fucked up everything. And now you're saying like, she, I'm not letting her take anything. She's not getting anything. Like what, what have you done for her? Ugh, it's so irritating. In June of 2008, Bruce was ordered to pay Sylvia $1,700 a month in alimony. That didn't go so well. The first check he gave to Sylvia bounced. And the second check that he gave to her, he actually put a stop payment on it. Like, grow up. You're like an immature little baby asshole. In August of 2008, Bruce lost his job. Surprise, surprise. He was fired for billing false hours to clients. 
This guy is just an all-around douchebag. Like, there's nothing good about him. Well, because his termination was due to fraud, you know, from this company, he was not able to collect any unemployment benefits. Bruce had zilch coming in. He had zero dollars of income coming in. Due to his decreased salary, the judge waived his alimony payment obligation. Whoopty fucking do. It's not like it, he was paying it anyways. Bruce still had $31,000 worth of credit card debt and a $2,700 mortgage payment he had to keep up with. But it just seems so weird. So the guy wasn't helping Sylvia with money. He clearly wasn't doing anything in like his past relationships. He wasn't paying any type of alimony. He wasn't paying any type of child support. His mortgage, yeah, $2,700. That's really not a whole lot when you're making a six-figure income. So what the fuck was he doing with all of his money? Just weird. So as the divorce process continued, Bruce was known to tell friends that Sylvia was, I quote, taking him to the cleaners, which just seemed ridiculous. She really wasn't crossing the line. I don't believe. I mean, it, she was requesting legitimate amounts of money and legitimate things like he's a he she was not out of line. I don't think on December 18th of 2008, the divorce was finally finalized. Bruce was able to keep the house while Sylvia got to keep her wedding ring and the dog they shared. Bruce was also ordered to pay her $10,000. And that was it. Sylvia had moved in with her parents in Covina, California at that time. She was trying hard to put Bruce and the pain he caused behind her, like just move on, forget about that guy. She was spending a lot of time with family and friends and was looking forward to starting a new life with her and her children. Christmas was right around the corner, and that would be a good distraction for Sylvia and her children. Every year, Sylvia's parents, Joe and Alicia Ortega, would plan a lavish holiday party that would take place on Christmas Eve. This year was no different. The Ortegas gathered about 25 of their closest family and friends to celebrate the holiday. It was December 24th of 2008, and what was turning into a very special evening. Family, friends, enjoying the night, food and drinks and laughter. Towards the end of the night, the adults were all playing Texas Hold'em near the front of the house, and most of the children had worked their way to the back of the house as they were playing video games and playing near the backyard. Uh, I do believe they had a pool also, so I think some of the kids might have been playing in the pool. One 17-year-old boy, uh, Sylvia's nephew, was on the second level of the house playing on the computer. People had began to leave the party, but at 11.30 at night, someone knocked on the door. Sylvia's eight-year-old niece, Katrina, was quick to run to the door to see who wanted to join the party. When she peeked out of the window next to the door, she was amazed and in awe to see Santa standing at the door with a very large, perfectly wrapped gift. She was super excited and opened the door yelling, Santa! This is when Santa took out a semi-automatic handgun and shot the little girl in the face. He then stormed into the house with a gun in each hand, opening fire as the Ortega family and other guests screamed in fear, running and hiding throughout the home. It was complete chaos. Charles Ortega, Sylvia's brother, recognized Bruce, af recognized Bruce after he shot Katrina. He yelled out his name and right after, Bruce turned to him and shot him. Sylvia's other brother, James, was also shot. According to a survivor of the massacre, Bruce and James both tried to get up and fight Bruce off after being shot. However, they both ended up dying. Family members were hiding under tables, in closets, and even trying to escape through the back doors and windows. 
Partygoers were calling into 911 reporting a madman shooting in the house. The 911 calls recorded screaming and crying as people tried to flee the area. A lady is also recorded saying, in quotes, Please come immediately. He's shooting. He's shooting. End quote. Later, a voice said, He left the house. My mom's house is on fire. Yep, you heard that right. After Bruce was done shooting up the place, he opened up that giant perfectly wrapped gift box to expose a homemade flamethrower. Remember, Bruce was a pretty smart guy, having worked in engineering most of his life. He had created a makeshift gas dispenser, which looked similar to a fire extinguisher. Uh, I will put pictures of all this on our Instagram page. Now, this fire extinguisher-looking unit was filled with a mixture that consisted mainly of racing fuel. He had sprayed the house, and because there were fires going on in two of the home's fireplaces, the home quickly lit up in flames. The house was completely engulfed. By the time firefighters had arrived, the home was a gas-filled ball of fire, with flames reaching 50 feet in the air. It took firefighters almost two hours to get the flames out. When they did, they found several bodies inside the house, most having to be identified using dental records. Among the deceased were 43-year-old Sylvia Pardo, her nephew, Michael Ortiz, who was that 17-year-old young man um, working on the computer upstairs. He had actually died from the fire. He was not shot. Sylvia's mother and father, Joseph Ortega and Alicia Ortega, who were uh, 80 and 70, respectively, were also deceased. Sylvia's sister and Michael's mother, Alicia Ortiz, who was 46 years old, was gone. Her brothers, James Ortega, who was 52, and his wife, and Charles Ortega, 50, and his wife, Sherry, were deceased. Bruce had killed nine Ortega family members, leaving 13 children without at least one parent, some having left two parents. In a matter of only about 15 minutes, this all took place. Bruce went in there and killed nine of the Ortega family members and set the house on fire in 15 minutes. Katrina, who was the one that was shot in the face, was actually among one of the survivors. The eight-year-old girl had turned her head at the last second, causing the bullet to go through the side of her face, essentially saving her life. Another family member was able to escape out of a window on the second floor, she did break her ankle, but she survived. A 17-year-old girl also survived after being shot in the back. Now, like I said earlier, it was, you know, thankfully most of the kids were in the back of the home playing, so they, not a whole lot of them were seriously injured or killed. It could have definitely been worse when it came to the children. Authorities could tell by the bullet trajectory that some of the victims were shot execution style. The horror isn't over yet, folks. Where was Bruce? From survivor statements, police knew exactly who they were looking for. It only took them three hours to find him. Brad Pardo, Bruce's brother, lived only about 40 miles from Covina. He had returned home from a Christmas party late on Christmas Eve to find his brother Bruce lying on his couch in a pool of blood. He was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police would soon find out that that really was not part of Bruce's plan to kill himself. What police would find would scare the bejesus out of anyone. Police arrive at Brad's place to find the body of the monster. Before he took his own life, Bruce had changed out of his Santa suit and into normal clothes. 
He had third-degree burns covering his hands, arms, and legs, and it looked as though part of the Santa suit had melted onto him. He was extremely injured. Like, these, these burns were severe. Maybe that flamethrower of his didn't work quite as he intended. Get this. He also had $17,000 of cash strapped to his body. Outside of Brad's house sat a blue Dodge Caliber. This was Bruce's rental vehicle. Inside, police found the burnt remains of the Santa suit and thousands of rounds of ammo. The car had also been booby-trapped. Yes. Bruce had rigged it to where a bomb would go off when the Santa suit was um, pulled out of the vehicle. Thankfully, authorities were able to see that the Santa suit was rigged to a bomb, so they set it off remotely using some type of robot. Uh, safely, they detonated the bomb, but holy shit, it like devastated the 2008 caliber. I'm going to show you pictures on Instagram, of course, but it it definitely would have hurt somebody had it gone off. Had somebody just grabbed that suit without realizing that it was connected to a bomb, they would have definitely been killed. Bruce was a fucked up dude. He had been planning this attack for some time. Even though Bruce had lost his job and was complaining about his debt and how Sylvia was raking him through the coals, blah, 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 he had bought a gun every month for four months straight starting in June of 2008. He bought a fifth gun in November. Now, uh, most of these were Sig Sawyer 9mm. I, I know that he did have a couple rifles too, so I'm not sure exactly what guns he had purchased, but there was a multitude of guns. During that same time in November when he purchased the gun, he also purchased that Santa suit. The spaced-out purchase of the guns was due to um, state laws, of course, for purchasing handguns. You have to wait 30 days. I'm sure Bruce would have stocked up quicker had this not been the case. It was thought that Bruce had planned to flee after causing all this, the destruction in Covina. An L.A. Times reporter had said that he was planning on murdering his own mother, as she was also supposed, as she was also as she was supposed to be at that Halloween party also. I guess his mother was very close to um, Sylvia and her family. Now, his mother had actually come down with the flu that evening, so she did not attend the party, thankfully. But yeah, like I said, he really held a grudge with his mom too, because, I mean, I get it. He, she probably She seemed like a very, very nice person. She probably realizes that there's something very wrong with her son, and she was on Sylvia's side. She knew that Sylvia didn't do anything wrong. The only thing she did wrong was marrying Bruce. So um, his mother did take Sylvia's side, and I believe even during their like divorce hearings or meetings with lawyers, his mother would show up and sit on Sylvia's side. So it pissed him off, apparently. Well, Bruce was also supposedly planning on making a visit to Sylvia's divorce lawyer. The attorney, Scott Nord, had called police to report a suspicious vehicle at the end of his driveway. This was a silver Toyota RAV4 that was also rented under Bruce's name. This vehicle wasn't booby-trapped, but it did have some interesting stuff inside. It contained road trip supplies like food and water, maps of the U.S. and Mexico, and computers. Police now believe that after Bruce killed the Ortegas, he was going to take the booby trap caliber to Scott's house where he would swap it out for his getaway car, the RAV4. However, 
his plan was spoiled when he received a significant amount of burns, making it nearly impossible for him to escape without receiving medical attention. So I'm not sure exactly what his plan was, but if he had left that vehicle there, the caliber with that Santa suit rigged up to the bomb, he might have either intended for Scott to go out there and grab that suit or police, of course, if he had called in somebody to say, hey, come check out this vehicle, somebody might have gotten in there and, um, you know, been severely injured or killed when they grabbed the suit. I just don't know exactly. Obviously, it's, you know, pretty strange that he had parked that vehicle outside of his ex-wife's um, divorce attorney's house. He was obviously wanted to hurt him in some way, but we just don't know exactly because Bruce is no longer around to tell us. Well, Bruce had killed his ex-wife and nearly all of her immediate family members on Christmas Eve. He had also taken his own life after his plans to flee were spoiled. Some other disturbing information came out in the weeks following the massacre. Family members said that a neighbor friend would usually dress up as Santa and show up to that Ortega party every year. They weren't sure if Bruce knew this before his planning. However, they did say that that is why Katrina was so quick to open the door to Santa. It was normal for Santa sh to show up. And I mean, hello, it's Christmas Eve. It's an eight-year-old girl. There's no way that I would have ever second-guessed opening up the door to Santa when I was eight years old. So either way, he would have gotten in. Uh, some reports also say that Bruce had purchased airline tickets supposedly to Iowa. Uh, again, some reports do say that it was to Canada, but I think that, I don't know. It's so hard to tell whether or not he was just trying to throw authorities off when he would make these purchases. Um, or, you know, ha he had the map of Mexico in his car, but people were saying that he was running, he was going to flee to Canada. He, he also had a friend who he called and said that he would be visiting him after Christmas. So, again, I don't know if that was actually something that he intended to do or if that was something that he was just saying to throw people off his trail. I don't know. Another sign that Bruce really had no intention to take his own life, though, was the fact that he had all that road trip stuff. He had tickets purchased. He had changed his clothes and he had $17,000 of cash attached to his body. Now, after the murder, after the after the massacre, the community of Covina was devastated Several members in the community were holding vigils and collecting donations to cover the funeral costs, which, of course, were going to be massive. The Ortegas were greatly loved, and that became very clear as so many people wanted to show their respect for the family. Now, in one of the articles I read, it also said that they still had a, an elderly family member. I believe it was one of the grandparents who still lived in Mexico. She was going through some health issues. She was having some medical issues, so she was in the hospital. And as far as I know, they never told her what happened to her family. I believe doctors recommended that she not hear about the massacre because that would probably cause her to go into shock or, you know, her body isn't going to respond to that well and she would possibly pass away. So they could not share that news of the family member's passing with that elderly grandmother in Mexico. Just so sad. It's it's Christmas, you guys. Today is Christmas. I'm recording this on Christmas morning. People, hold your loved ones close. Hold them. Squeeze them extra tight today, tonight. And may everyone have a very Merry Christmas. If y'all like this story and you have a story you'd like me to cover, 
go ahead and shoot me an email at realtwistedsisters at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at real.twisted.sisters. And you can become a member of the Real Twisted Sister fan group or something like that. I just made that up. Become a Real Twisted Sisters member at www.patreon.com slash realtwistedsisters. We have a few bonus episodes out there. And I'm actually writing up another one because I got behind in them. So, again, hope you guys have a fabulous holiday season. Don't be killing anybody. Hold your loved ones close and take care. Bye-bye.